Exodus 12 is where we left off last week. Uh, well, we finished 11, so we'll pick up with 12, I should say. Uh, in chapter 11 of Exodus, Moses was told by the Lord that this last plague was coming. And this last plague was death of the firstborn. And Moses uh, told uh, Pharaoh this that this was coming. And um, and then left. He was uh, angry when he left. And um, they had been through a lot. There had been a, a lot of things going on. And so uh, this is where we uh, where we pick up is the death of the firstborn has been announced. There's also um, the caveat that uh, this firstborn, um, this curse that's coming, uh, as we're going to see here, there is salvation from it and there's deliverance from it um, as we study here. So Exodus chapter 12, verse 1 says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth, month, uh, tenth of this month, Every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb uh, shall be without blemish, one uh, a male, of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. So uh, these first seven verses have quite a lot to say about uh, what is about to happen and uh, how Israel is supposed to prepare for it. But it starts here with the Lord giving Israel its own religious calendar. And uh, what we see here is uh, there are two different calendars that Israel uh, would uh, would look at. Their civil uh, calendar, which would begin in the September-October time frame. And then uh, the uh, religious calendar, which began in the March-April time frame. And uh, that was uh, what we're talking about here. Now, for Israel's uh, uh, New Year, they would celebrate Rosh Hashanah. And that means beginning of the year, or it, you, know, you could equate it to New Year's Day. Um, uh, but what we see here is that uh, you know the first of the month of the of the uh, civil calendars when Rosh Hashanah would be, and it would uh, in the seventh month of the religious calendar, uh, and that would be in the month of Tishri. So Rosh Hashanah ushered in uh, the Feast of Trumpets, uh, Day of Atonement, which uh, also known as Yom Kippur, or uh, Feast of Tabernacles, and. What God is, is doing here is he's setting a different, uh, different calendar for them, that religious calendar, and he's um, establishing that calendar for them. Now, remember, they spent 430 years in Egypt, and uh, they are being told that, you know, on the 10th day of this month, so from now on, uh, what he's saying is that, uh, you know, this month shall be the beginning of months for you. So uh, things are being reset by God because they had been dictated by uh, by uh, Egypt, I almost said Israel there. But so uh, what we see here is that as God is is uh, instating the the feast of Passover and and this this great holiday they have is uh, that He's um, marking a new religious year for them uh, based on this. So uh, what we'll see is Passover is focused on a lamb, as we just uh, we just uh, studied here. So. And the based on the size of the house uh, with with people in it that are, are worshiping God, uh, that's uh, would determine whether they need a, a lamb for their house or if two houses would share share a lamb. And as as we read here, so uh, either one or two households would come together and they would worship together. Because if you've got a small household of two people, uh, there's no way to eat all of that in a night, right? Uh, so what we'll see here, I mean. For some of us, that's great news. <laughs> we don't have to share our food, right? 
but uh, but what we see here is the Lord's provision, and um, and uh, he's he the Lord is is a God of order. Um, there, if you look at the Bible, uh, there isn't a lot of chaos in it. The only chaos that comes in the Bible is man. Man being stupid and rebelling against God creates chaos. But God Himself doesn't do anything recklessly or chaotic. Uh, he's very, uh, very much a God of order. Uh, if you look at creation, this creation is uh, is very orderly. I uh, saw one of my uh, my our brothers uh, posted something. It was basically saying that I don't have enough faith to be an atheist because you know for me to sit here and look and say, well, everything happened by chance, and and billions and trillions of years ago there were explosions, and now everything's in great order. You know, our noses are set right where they need to be and not here. And the fact that we, you know, can, you guys have heard me talk about this several times, but just, just the ability to take breaths, you know, that our body does that involuntarily. We don't have to think about it. That's something that involuntarily our body does. There's so much stuff here that, that declares the glory of God, uh, that it's foolishness. And he's basically saying, I, I love the post because it's like, I don't have en enough faith to not believe that someone created us. You know, if somebody has to look at things and say, hey, uh, I, I don't know who the creator is, then at least you can work with that. Right. You can. But to say there's no creator is 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 foolishness. But anyways, uh, I can get off on my rabbit trail here. But so uh, the, the, the order that's being set by the Lord here. So as we study through these uh, first seven verses, we see that God is instituting that on the 10th day uh, they were to to take a male uh, lamb without blemish. Now they can take them from the sheep or uh, or the goats, it says, but it has to be without blemish. And uh, they have to keep it in, until the 14th day. And in the evening, the lamb would be slain and the whole congregation would uh, kill the lamb at the same time. Uh, so uh, it's it's quite interesting to go on here. This is that's a tough thing to look at, um, uh, you know, to, to read that. And, you know, because I'm, I'm I love animals. You know, I was just driving the other day and I see this little baby deer standing next to the road, has no idea what a road is and what I am in this big blue truck riding by, you know, and just kind of like, what is this world and everything? And, you know, I just look at that thing and I'm like, there's, there's something beautiful about those things. You know, they uh, don't get me wrong. I love meat. I just, you know, uh, you know, today I had a fajita, steak fajita for lunch. It was leftover and I was you know, it was a very joyous occasion, but, but, uh, but I, I don't want to be, uh, you know, thinking about that. You know, it's the hard thing. You know, my kids, if they know we get a chicken from a local farm from some friends of ours that attend Calvary and Orrington, they're like, is this chicken from them? And I'm like, yeah, well, guys, it didn't have a name, but it was raised for that, you know, or we can get a chicken that lived in a basket for its whole life. And it was, you know, fed a bunch of antibiotics and stuff and never got to even walk around. I mean, which one do you want? You know, so we have those things here. But uh, but what we see here is, uh, you know, it's 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 a tough thing to look and, 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 and think, OK, they're all going to to kill a lamb. But this is what God is prescribing. They're to call. They're called to do this obediently. And uh, so what we see happening here is God is telling them to uh, to sprinkle the blood, to take some of the blood and put it on the doorpost to both sides and up on top of their house. So uh, as um, this is is being established here, um, we'll we'll see uh, what the meaning would be. But what we'll see is that you can look all the way back to Exodus 12 and see that God was pointing to the cross. There's blood on the top and on the sides. It's creating a cross. So when we're when we're looking at what's happening here, uh, there there would be blood on the lintel on on the entryway at the top, and then on each side of the doorposts. It's a cross. It's a picture of a cross all the way back while they were in Egypt. God was establishing this. This is one of those wonderful things that you can find in the scripture and understand that Jesus Christ is spoken of all the way back in, in, in the beginning in Genesis, all the way through the end of Revelation. It's not like Jesus was just introduced <clears throat> Because we know, we, I, I know this crowd here. That I know that we're we're familiar with the fact that there's there are prophecies uh, in the Scripture that Jesus Christ came and fulfilled over 350 of them. And uh, when we when we look through the Old Testament and we can see pictures of Jesus like this, it's so powerful. Because a lot of people will say that that God was a different God in the Old Testament than He is in the New Testament. 
And, and that's uh, basically, if you come to that, that understanding, it's a misunderstanding. That's not, that's not accurate at all. Because the scriptures tell us that, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's no variation or shadow of turning in God. So if we sit here and we, and we believe that, just look at the scripture and God will, God will show you that, that that's an incorrect uh, you know, understanding of him and ask him to reveal himself to us. But what we see here is that the Trinity, uh, you know, we see pictures of Jesus Christ, we see the Holy Spirit, we see God the Father. They're all depicted all the way through the scriptures. You can, it, it's, it's awesome to see uh, how, how God just showed us uh, himself all the way through, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all the way through the scriptures. So this is one of those occasions pointing to something that was coming for Israel. And, uh, and we'll, we'll dive very deep into this here as, as we continue. Uh, so th- what we see here is this is a foreshadowing of the work of Christ on the cross and uh, where it even shows uh, the shape of a cross with the top and, and the two sides and that the blood of the lamb would be on the door um, and, and that blood would identify to God as uh, the destro- destroyer is coming through. Uh, to kill uh, the firstborn of every person and all the livestock, that that if it's marked, the, the doorpost of that home is marked with the blood of the lamb, then they wouldn't experience the judgment of God. So do you see, do you see where this is, is, is connecting? Hopefully this is just a reminder for us, but if it's new, man, dive right into this and, and take some notes and talk to me after if you need to. So looking at this as a prophecy, Jesus certainly met all the qualifications of, of the lamb. Uh, he was the lamb without blemish. Now, uh, de- it was declared several times by, by Pilate, who was used to sentence him to death, that he found no fault in Christ. There was no fault found in Jesus Christ. The murderous crowd just wanted him gone because he threatened their politician, their political power and their money, and and uh, they didn't want Rome coming and taking over. I mean, there was a lot for them, and they were tired of getting offended by him. So, uh, but when he was brought in front of Pilate three times, Pilate says, "I found no fault in him." Like, what are you doing here? But he gets pressured into uh, into uh, giving the mob their way. So uh, Jesus is the one this was all pointing to. Now, considering the lamb, John chapter 1, verse 29, describes Jesus Christ as the lamb. It says, John the Baptist says, Then the next day John uh, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So uh, when when we consider uh, the, the picture of the cross that's being uh, painted here all the way back in, back in Exodus 12. It's speaking of a lamb that would its blood would be spilt and that, that blood would represent salvation for all those that are in that household. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, For he, he made him, so God the Father made the Son, Jesus Christ, made him who knew no sin be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So the lamb became sin for us that we might become righteous in him. 1 Peter 20, uh, 2, verses 22 through 24 says, Jesus, speaking of Jesus, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him, God, the Father, who judges righteously who himself bore our sins is uh, in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live righteously by whose stripes you were healed. That Jesus Christ himself bore our sins uh, in his own body. So he who had committed no sin. So if you look at those three verses, it says that Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God who had committed no sin, but he became sin for us. And when he became sin for us, he bore our sins on his own body uh, that, uh, that, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness and that Christ, by his stripes, we were healed. I mean, that's, a, that's a powerful thing to consider because we know that this lamb was going to die and that its blood was going to be put on the lintel and on the doorposts of the home. This lamb died for them. 
for those in the household. So this lamb didn't just like get sacrificed to some fake god or anything. This lamb died a sacrificial death for the people inside the home. And that its blood would be poured out into a basin and that its blood would be, with hyssop, put on the lintel and the doorpost to preserve the lives of those within it. You know, think of the provision of God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 5 says, And you know that he, Jesus, was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. You know, Christ is the perfect Lamb of God, right? Who were they supposed to, what were they supposed to pick on the tenth day? A lamb without blemish. Jesus, it was foretelling Jesus Christ, the lamb without blemish. Guys, this was way before the life of Jesus Christ. This is way, I mean, you're, you're talking a thousand years and more before Jesus Christ. That's a long time before Jesus Christ. That this lamb was, was foretelling, that, that the, the death of this lamb and the blood of this lamb would be foretelling of who Jesus Christ would be. That he's a lamb without blemish. Remember, John, John the Baptist called him, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then we looked at all the subsequent and different uh, scriptures to tie that all in together. That that, sin, that that sinless lamb came to die in our place. So we see the foretelling of what is happening here in this situation. Now in verse 7, if you, if you look at that with me, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses uh, where they eat. So it's not sufficient just to know intellectually that something was going to happen and that this needed to happen. They had to actually partake personally in, in what was happening. So they, they couldn't just know, oh, hey, I know this happened, so therefore we're saved. No, this had to be partaken of. They actually had to do something here. The blood had to be applied to provide protection. The protection was contingent upon the blood being applied to the doorposts and the lintel. Okay, so uh, when we when we consider that, you know, if, if you think of the entrance to a home, it's that front door, right? It's the front door, and that's where people would come in. And, and those, well, in Maine, I'm sorry, Maine's different, right? Uh, you, nobody actually goes in their front door. You always go around to them, right? It's never the the beautiful door that faces the road ever. Right. I mean, I, I when I think of the house I was born in in Bucksport, I uh, um, I think I might have gone out into that door entryway because my dad had his chiropractic business there, too. So it was like it was a big house. You know, we had seven of us living there. I was one of five kids. And and uh, so we had a, a big house and half of it was uh, uh, the uh, half of the bottom uh, was my dad's uh, business. And uh, so we had places like I, I was born in the house. That's that's where I lived for my first 15 years of life. I probably went out into that front entryway like twice in my life. It was like this big thing. Like if you're playing hide and seek, you know, you might that might be the ultimate hiding spot. No one would ever find you because no one ever went out there. Right. But 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 that's how everybody would identify. So when, when someone would look at your home, what they would see if they're walking and they're looking at someone's home is when they're looking at that front door, they would see blood on the lintel and on the doorposts there. It was identifying that, and, and what they would know is the people that are living inside would mean that they are identifying with God because of the blood that is uh, is on there. There's something that that means something there. And it's the same in our hearts. You know, blood has to be applied to our hearts. The blood of Christ needs to be applied to our souls. You know, we, we have to appropriate the atonement uh, uh, that Jesus Christ offers personally in our individual lives. So as each home had to have this, if each home didn't have this, the homes that didn't have it, uh, if they didn't want to participate, they didn't have to, but then you're going to lose your firstborn. I don't imagine there's anybody there uh, from Israel. There's no record of anybody in Israel not going along with this, right? Because think about it. Do you want to lose your firstborn? You know, I, I just, uh, any any firstborn. Whoever that was, male, female, cats, dogs, whatever it is, the firstborn's gone. Okay, so so they have an out from this, and uh, when when we consider the power that is uh, contained uh, in in that statement of putting the blood out there, we have to acknowledge and trust uh, the blood of Christ and 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 
let the, the sacrifice of Christ change our lives. If you consider Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's a whole new life available to him uh, because of what Christ did on the cross for him, that he loved him and gave himself for him. Ephesians 1 verse 7 says, In him, Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? Now look at that in verse 14. It says the blood of Christ, that he was the one without spot that would cleanse our conscience and that we would then uh, from dead works to serve the living God. This this blood, the blood of the lamb, uh, there, there's significance to Israel at the time, but there's also massive significance to us also. Huge significance to them in their lives, like their 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 physical lives, like would be, they would be spared. But also, it's an act of obedience for them, so they were going to be blessed spiritually, no doubt. For us, the blood of the Lamb is everything to us. That Jesus Christ shed blood on the on the cross is is redemptive to our souls. They were saved, and their lives were delivered and spared uh, from the judgment of God. The same way that our lives, our spiritual lives, can be spared from the judgment of God because of the blood uh, that that we would appropriate to our own selves. So there, this is quite a thing here uh, for them, but it's also massive for us also. Verse eight. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire. <clears throat> With unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. If you haven't had dinner, I'm sorry. I know roasted lamb. Have you ever had lamb before? It is awesome. Uh, Greek food. Jen, uh, Jen and I, uh, when we were in Italy, we had introduced the gyros, right? Uh, some people call them gyros. Uh, but if you call it a gyro, they know you're not Greek, okay? <laughs> so they call it a gyro, right? And, and it's this deliciousness wrapped up and and it, it's uh um it's got sauce in there and uh lamb uh lamb steak or lamb whatever it is right uh, that roasted that that roasted lamb that's that's within there and it's it's very good food all right so so these what's what's being said here is that lamb would need to be roasted they would have it with unleavened bread and uh and with bitter herbs they shall eat it now, verse 9 says do not eat it raw. I don't know many of us that really want to just grab a hold of a you know lamb leg and and muckle onto it, but it's God had to say it for a reason uh, to, through Moses here. So uh, do not eat it raw, nor boiled uh, at all with water. I uh, don't want that either. But but roasted in a fire, its head uh, with its legs and its entrails. So everything, the whole thing. Not uh, excited about eating head, legs, and entrails uh, there, but uh, what we'll see here is that it was to be roasted whole. It wasn't. It wasn't. Um, you know, cut out or things weren't broken off. And, and we're going to see there's some significance there too. Uh, verse ten says, "You shall let none of it remain until morning, and uh, what remains of it uh, until uh, morning you shall burn with fire." Now, um, I. Uh, Let's just go through verse 11. It says, And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Now, consider eating a full lamb with a belt around your waist, right? <laughs> Don't we usually, when we know we're going to eat a lot or we have eaten a lot, loosen that belt up? What we see here is these, these instructions are for a reason, right? Um, uh, now, if you've ever eaten with me, uh, you'll probably figure out I'm a fast eater. Um, I, I don't know that I always was, but I think I always was. And uh, any of us that were military, you know, you were taught, you don't take your time with your meals, right? There's oftentimes, Jen and I will go out to eat, 
and and my meal's gone and she's on her second bite you know and, and she's enjoying her meal you know i'm more like our our old dog rocco uh man i could we could cut get him a steak and he would literally inhale it and i'm like man you got to chew it you got to savor that and everything and uh eating it fast uh isn't often uh something you know, something that uh, people do often here but there's to be nothing left, and that's not a problem for a lot of us, right? We know, hey, the orders are to eat this whole thing. No leftovers, okay? So they eat it all, and whatever you couldn't eat would have to be consumed the next day. They, uh, they would have to burn it up here. So there's some significance here. So they had to roast the flesh. Um, if, uh, if you consider roasting it, they'd roast it whole. They wouldn't, they wouldn't uh, cut it up and break bones off. Uh, and, and boiling also, if you're boiling something, it's easy for that bone to break. And uh, so there would be uh, none to remain also. So it's roasted flesh. But if you consider Jesus Christ on the cross, his whole body suffered. The, the, the whole body. Just when you look at this lamb, it says the whole lamb would, would, be, um, would be experiencing that fire. And if you think of the wrath of God that Christ experienced for us. So uh, when we consider the roasted flesh, uh, the unleavened bread. Now, when it says unleavened bread, that spoke of an urgency of their departure. There was no time to let it rise. Uh, so uh, when we're considering these two things and leaven, uh, as we've talked about several times in the scripture, symbolizes sin in the scripture. And uh, there is no sin in Christ, as we've already established. And then it says the bitter herbs, the bitterness of, of Christ's death for us. Now, remember, uh, you know, you can sit, you can look at it that way, but it's also a reminder to them of the bitterness of their lives. When they were captive in Egypt, the bitterness that they had there, that's, that's a, a, a awful thing that they had to experience. And uh, the, the bitterness of their captivity, the bitterness of murder, the bitterness of oppression, and uh, extremely hard labor. You know, these the reminders that they had uh, were um, were needed, and uh, they uh, because we're forgetful. You know, we we do forget things. We can often forget how bad things were for us in life, and um, they uh, they uh, uh, as they're. When you consider their unleavened bread, when you put all this together, and in the end of verse 11, it says, you shall eat it in haste. So all these things were for a specific reason. You know, they uh, if you think of Israel, it didn't take long after, when as we're going to see, after they were delivered for them to start complaining. It didn't. You know, they just start whining and complaining, and, and they start forgetting uh, how bad it was. I know we've talked about this before, but they're now, they start reminiscing. They start reminiscing about the murder and about the oppression and the forced labor and uh, no grace, no mercy, no nothing. They're why would we reminisce about that? The worst time of your life. You know, the worst time of, of, that, of, the, of the people, of the children of Israel. Why would you want to reminisce about that? It was, the, it was because they were forgetful of what God did for them. And they start, you know things are bad when you start looking at it like, hey, the, at least the food was good. I mean, guys, garlic and onions smell awesome, right? And we talked about that last week. I mean, there's just something about them that, that make your, your mouth water. They, they smell amazing. But I'll take freedom over that smell. You know what I mean? Give me some, you know, saltines and some water and uh, at least I'm free, right? Don't get, me, don't get me wrong. I'm sure there's a whiner enough in me that I'm going to start saying, well, can't I have a steak? You know, and then, uh, you know, just like quail, they're going to have it coming out of their nose, right? So it's just one of those things, you know. So they that sinful state they're longing for. Uh, now, have you ever thought of, you know, that deliverance from the old, the old man, old mo woman that we've been saved from? You know, doesn't that make us think of... You know, I, I've heard Ken Graves, uh, re, you know, refer to him as the bad old days, right? Everybody wants to say, oh, I remember the good old days. No, they're the bad old days. Those are the ones that had us on the road to hell, right? We should never look back on those like the leeks and the onions and go, man, wasn't that awesome. Man, did I have some fun. Yeah, on the, literally ACDC, on the highway to hell, right? You're on, and, and, and 
it's uh, that's nothing to, to get excited about. The excitement is being saved from that. So <clears throat> not longing for that sinful state. Reject that. And uh, if we're going to glory, glory in the freedom and Christ that we have. Otherwise, we're really just saying that the life in captivity in sin uh, is better than the riches that Christ has to offer. You know, so there's there's a reminder there of hey that I know that sounds good as you're looking back on it right now but it's not good it's not good the riches you have in Christ that await you and that in this life and that await you in the next are always going to be better than what, what the world has to offer for us you know if we're being discontent remember we I think we discussed it last week um, the discontentment that was there um, was was Really, uh, they weren't. They weren't rejected. It was in one of our studies. I can't. Remember. Oh, it was in a, a Wednesday, uh, Sunday night study. Um, the discontentment that was in the hearts of of uh, of the children of Israel because they wanted a king, right? And God said, "Well, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me, right?" So that discontentment that we would have with Christ is 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 a discontentment in Him, and we need to repent of that. So the belt on the waist, the sandals on the feet. And what's a neat thing is those sandals that they had on their feet never wore out. And those, that 40-year journey, they never wore out. When someone would die, they'd just be like, <laughs> got an extra pair of sandals if we ever need them, right? I imagine so, right? But their, their, their sandals never wore out. I mean, that, you talk about some, some, I mean, we know that was miraculous also, but, but I mean, the 40-year, I mean, shoes might last me a year long. I beat the stuffing right out of my shoes here, but 40 years is a lot. Uh, so uh, they, uh, they had to eat this uh, and be ready to go. Verse 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. So God is saying that he will pass through that night and strike the firstborn. His judgment being poured out on, on Egypt for their treatment of Israel and their refusal to let him go. And, excuse me, his judgment against the false gods of Egypt. We know he's already been addressing them, but, uh, but he is uh, showing, uh, and he's already shown that they're powerless and empty. But he's going to finalize his demonstration of his exclusive power over them, uh, is what he's saying here. Verse 13, now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. The blood shall be the sign is what's being said here. And God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. You know, the blood has to be applied, right? Because if the blood isn't there, then the destroyer, when, when he comes through, is then the firstborn in that home are going to die. It was see, the seeing of the blood that made the difference here. You know, when you, when you look at it, I, that, that we uh, can consider the application of that, that the, the blood of Christ you know, covering our sins. That, that the blood of Christ would be upon us, giving us the newness of life that we already talked about in those previous verses that we looked at. If we've considered who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us, and we can say, that's me, I believe that, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah that died in my place, we have that blood covering us. We're not going to experience the judgment of God. So there's, there's the deliverance there. God said, God the Father said, the, the plague shall not be on you. You know, there's a difference between those walking with God and those not. We have a whole bunch of loved ones that, that, that we um, no doubt pray for, uh, and uh, friends, family, co-workers, whatever it is, that, that we know don't have a relationship with Christ, and we desire them to. We should be praying, and, and, and when God opens the door, we can share those things with him. You know, when we try to force that door down and everything, what you're going to see is, nope. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. It's always good to try. That's, that's always, and, you know, you got to get your meter, right? You need to find out, okay, where's this person at? But, but when we try to slam something down their throat, like, hey, take this, take this, you need to, 
you know, those things. Let God do the work and prepare them, and he'll open the doors. When he sees the, the, the blood, you know, the blood means everything to the Christian. Um, I was having a discussion with somebody. We were in Italy and uh, having some uh, some dinner with some friends of ours, and we had just met. Uh, I had just met them. I think Jen had, had known them. Uh, before she got there, um, before I did, and and uh, we were out eating dinner, and I was trying to minister and 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 witness to this one guy, and I was explaining um, the the day of atonement uh, to him and and the need for a savior, and uh, and I just said, you know, where the the blood of the lamb will be poured out, and he interrupted me. He goes, "Poor lamb." <laughs> I was like, I mean, this guy this guy was you know quite um, uh, quite full of himself and and a smart guy and everything, but he was. Quite full, and I'm like, yes, absolutely, poor lamb. That that lamb would have to die because I'm an idiot, right? And and, and consider that God uh, would die to save us from our sins. So that blood was everything. If the blood was there, then God would pass over. The judgment would pass over because of the blood that was there. Verse 14. So this day shall be to you a memorial. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which uh, everyone must eat, that only that only may be prepared by you. So what is being <clears throat> described here in verses 14 through 16 is a celebration and rejoicing to remember because we forget. God is establishing this for them here. Now, you notice there's no commercialism attached to it. <laughs> this is a special time that they're being told. Guys, have, if you haven't figured out, this world will do everything it can to make money off you. <laughs> off of me. Everything they can, right? Everything. Hey, the resurrection of Christ. Cool. Let's get bunnies and chocolates and, you know, whatever else you want to make. Oh, and I guys, I get it that, that some of these things have roots in uh, pagan whatever. All I'm saying here is that we as Christians identify uh, Christmas as a, a day of remembrance of the birth of Christ, the gift of the Messiah that was given to us. Okay, looking back at its roots, I know that there's all kinds of stuff to look into for the roots. But what do we recognize uh, what what uh, holiday do we recognize as a celebration of the Messiah coming Christmas, right? Uh, and then if you look at uh, Easter or Resurrection Sunday, right? Have those been commercialized? Oh my goodness, right? You're like August, you know, you start going to stores and like August they're selling Christmas lights. You know, it's still, you're still in shorts and buying, you know, uh, whatever the sunblock and, and they're getting everything out. You know, to cheapen those things. And what can they get out of them? God was just saying, you need to do these things. They need to be uh, something that you remember throughout all your generations. The Jews, even today, still celebrate Passover. Even today. It says that there's no work to be done. There's another thing that's probably going to stick out to us, right? No work to be done. Right? You're going to be saved because of the blood that was spilled for you. Uh, if you if you apply that to your life, you are saved, right? There's the picture that's being painted there. There's no work to be saved. You know, if you look at Ephesians 2, it tells us we are saved by grace through faith. And it goes on to explain there in Ephesians 2, verses 8, 9, and 10, you'll see there that it's telling us that, that salvation doesn't come as a result of works, but that it's the gift of God because if it's because of works, we're going to boast. That's what that's what Paul was saying, is if we could earn it, then we can boast in it. But there's nothing we can do to earn salvation. So no work to be done. 
the only work that was permitted is the work that was uh, needed to partake in what God had, per had prescribed uh, for the meal. Uh, and uh, so they were allowed to do that. Verse 17, so you shall observe the feast of the of unleavened bread for on the same day I I uh, will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, the that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread. So God is speaking. What I, what I like here is God is speaking to them about something as though it's already happened. Right? They haven't been delivered yet. And God is saying, hey, by the way, you're going to have to carry this out too. God is speaking to the future, that this is what's going. God knows the future so he can speak to the future. And he's telling them, on this day until this day, this is what you're going to do. So God is speaking this as though it's already done. Israel's still in bondage, and God was telling them what to do when they're free. Now he tells them there shouldn't be any leaven found in their homes. This, would, this is a neat thing, that the children would witness the, the parents getting leaven out of the house them practicing their faith, that they were told what to do and that their children would see their parents practicing their faith. Uh, I, I was listening to a teacher about this, and I, I was blessed by it, and I agree with this, and this has uh, been most often the practice for us. Um, the, the greatest time of sharing uh, godly principles and the word of God with my kids has been in demonstration, just showing them something. This is why we do this. You know, God showed us this, and this is why God says this, and having the practical conversations with them so that when they see things in their lives, they can have those same, uh, those same things to carry with them, that they understand this is why God said this. This is why God said that he wants us to, to uh, conduct our lives in this manner so that I don't experience this sorrow in my life and this destruction in my life, or that I experience this blessing in my life. And I see these things happening here, that if we, if we decide to forsake this world and to, to walk in, in, in love as, as Christ called us to, then, then the children that we see running around this church are going to experience that. Because I can, I can do the whole, hey, do as I say, not as I do thing. And my kids, what are they going to do with their faith? But chuck it out the window. Like this didn't mean anything, but when they see uh, the practice, uh, the practicing of the faith, like these guys would, they would see their parents removing the leaven from their homes and those things. They're practicing their faith uh, as they are, uh, as they're being obedient uh, to it. Their children are seeing it. But they're eating that unleavened bread, so they remember. Uh, that they had to get up and go quickly. Verse 21, Then Moses called for the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves, according to your families, and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the doorpost, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your house to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you just as he promised that you shall keep this service. Another thing of a promise of life to come, right? And what's going to happen later? Verse 26. And it shall be when the children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That you, that you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt. 
when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. So Moses relays all this to the children of Israel and tells them that they're to do these things. Go in your house. Don't even come out. And you're supposed to stay there. And it will come to pass when you get in the land, when God gets us where he tells us he's going to take us, we're going to do this also when we get there. That we're going to carry this out. That this is being established for us. And when you carry it out, your kids are going to ask you about this. And you're going to have to explain to them. It's, a, it's an example. It's that opportunity, right? The Christian church should be telling people, uh, specifically the children within the home, why do we sell? Why do why do Christians celebrate? Uh, what do we celebrate on, on on Christmas? We celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. You know, it, you can okay. If some people, I, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on. Some people do the whole Santa Claus things. Don't care. I don't care. My kids, when, when my kids were growing up, we got in trouble in our family a couple times because my kids would tell their cousins, they're like, Santa Claus isn't real. <laughs> they were like, don't let your kid ruin this. And it was, it was because we didn't want our kids to carry something as a lie as though it was true. Because then when I try to tell them stuff, uh, the, the deep things of God, they're going to be like, then why should I? Okay, you told me that to control me. How come, how, how come I you know, have to believe you now that, that, that you're just not trying to control me now? You see the seed that can be planted there? Guys, if you have that, just uh, I'm just telling you now, if you do the whole Santa thing or the families do the whole Santa thing, just tell them it's for fun. And let make sure that they understand you know, what, what we as Christians are celebrating, what we as Christians are celebrating. Pagan whatever, meanings, whatever. I, I, I know uh, each of us in here, what do we celebrate? Uh, on on the day of Christmas, it's the birth of our Savior, right? And what do we celebrate but the resurrection of our Savior on Resurrection Sunday, on Easter Sunday? Make sure we're passing those. That's that's the same conversation with these guys. It's the same thing for them to understand. Just be able to tell them. So Moses, we see here, was faithfully doing what he was called to do, and he's leading. People were told to pick out and take their lambs and prepare for the Passover. <clears throat> Put the blood on the lintel and the doorpost, like we said, creating the cross there, and um, and uh, and to have the blood there. Now that blood, as we've discussed, it wasn't the life of the lamb that saved them; the the blood of that lamb that saved them. And uh, they will hear this later in in uh, Leviticus chapter seventeen, verse eleven. It says. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. So that's from Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. So the life of the flesh is in the blood given on the altar to make atonement for your soul. Uh, some people will play on that word atonement. They'll make the, the, the play on the word at one minute that we would be may brought in and uh, at one with God because of the atonement uh, of the uh, the payment of our sin. So it's the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 says, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. So as this is being forwarded and passed along to Israel and for them to share with their children, uh, we see what the seed that was being planted, that they would come to faith and believing in God. So the penalty of our sin had been paid. And, you know, God established a requirement and uh, then met them for us. That requirement that, that the sin had to be paid for, but we couldn't pay for it. God took care of it. You know, that's that's the, the, the great blessing here. Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6 says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That lamb that had to die. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Therefore purge out the old leaven, 
that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. The last verse regarding that, 1 Peter 1, verses 18 through 20 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but it was manifest in these last times for you. That blood that had to be applied, it had to be applied, that was passed down, that Israel now knows that, that they would understand and that their children would, un would understand. Verse 29, And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out in the land, out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So we've seen all the, the previous nine plagues. And we know that some of them brought darkness, darkness from the locusts you couldn't even see. Uh, and they, would, they were actually darkening the land. Or the, the, the plague of the actual darkness where there was no light, that complete, utter blackness that they couldn't see. But consider how dark a day this was for them. That, that's a dark day. And uh, all the firstborn of the people had been struck and the, li the livestock. Nobody spared except the people of Israel. Remember, this was judgment on them for the way that they had murdered Israel and the way that they had treated Israel and made them their slaves for 430 years. It's a long time to be oppressed and, and to be beaten. And uh, so when you, when you consider uh, what, they were, uh, what they were being judged for and for their, their pagan beliefs, God judged all their false gods when he was doing these things. So Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron to leave quickly, uh, you know, along with the children and the flocks. No more games, remember? He tried to say, like, no, you can go and you can take these things, but you got to leave these things. That was all done. He's just like, you know what, go ahead. And he even says, bless me also, right? You know, you can just see how conceited the man was, right? Everybody else is, is going through these things, and, and he's... He's asking for something for himself. Verse 34. So the people took their, their dough before it was leavened, having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes on their shoulders. <clears throat> now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Remember, all the way back, and I know I've said this repeatedly, but it applies repeatedly. Genesis 15, verses 13 and 14 tell us that, that uh, when God told Abram that the children would be strangers in the land and that they would leave with great possessions and uh, that they would be there for over 400 years. So uh, everyone packed up what they had and they were ready to head out. God gave them favor and they plundered the Egyptians just like God said they were. They weren't going to leave empty-handed. Verse 37, then the children of Israel journeyed from the uh, from Ramses to Sakoth about 600,000 uh, men on uh, on foot uh, besides children so uh, remember we've talked there's well over a million people here possibly 2 million uh, when you consider men women and children just men themselves 600,000 footmen uh, a mixed multitude uh, went up with them also in flocks and herds a great deal of livestock and they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were driven out 
of Egypt and could not wait. Now, they, uh, nor had they uh, prepared provisions for themselves. So they left in a hurry. Remember, they had their belts girded, uh, the sandals on, and uh, they, uh, they had to go. They had to just get out of there. So that's why this is explained here uh, in these verses. Verse 40 says, Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, on the very same day it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is night. It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord uh, for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is, uh, this is that night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. Now, what the Bible describes their 430 years, it says that they were uh, 430 years, they were considered temporary residents there. That's that's what a sojourner would be. Like, like I, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, if I'm going somewhere temporary, um, uh, you know, imagine living in a tent 430 years or whatever. It, just just consider it, right? You know, you don't think of that as being permanent. But when they went there, God initially brought them there uh, uh, to uh, preserve their lives from the famine. And God worked. Uh, in, in a special way and kept them there. When he wanted to deliver them, he did, and he did it. He didn't need any help doing it. When God delivered them, he did it himself, right? Because he struck off. It was, Israel had no work to do, right? All they had to do was believe God, do what they were told, and God did everything for them. That is very much a picture of salvation. They didn't have to conquer the Egyptians. They didn't have to do anything. They just had to be obedient to what God said, they did, and they were delivered and saved. It says a solemn night. It's good to reflect on the deliverance of God that he has provided and his goodness demonstrated in our lives. If we don't set that time apart and look back and say, God, you've been so good to me right here. And sometimes it's going to be hard. But if we remember his goodness, it's going to keep us in a mindset we need to be in. Because if we lose that mindset of his goodness and what he has given us and what he's done for us, that's when we get lost. We need those reminders, right? Verse 43, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it, but every man's servant who is bought with money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when the stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover of the, over of the Lord, let all his males be circumcised and let them uh, let him come near and keep it. And he shall... Be as a native of the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. Uh, shall eat it. <clears throat> One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. So this was for the Jews and their families and those who were of the covenant. Only believers could partake in this. You know, God was prescribing the conditions of worship here. Uh, it's not man's preference. It's not man being able to combine things and say, "This is my religion." I've done this, this, and this. If you want to have a relationship with the one and true living God, we come to him on his terms. His terms are perfect. His terms are, you're lost, you're broken, your life is a complete wreck. Let me help you, and I'll provide the free salvation for you. All you need to do is believe in me and follow me. That's it. That's it. That is the most wonderful of, of messages we're ever going to hear. That's it. That's how we're saved. Believe in our heart, confess with our mouth, and we're saved. Forsake our sin and follow him. That's it. I mean, there's no, no, it's, it's very simple, but it's also complex, right? It can be, we can be very complex. We, we are complex and we may not want to forsake those things or we might want to try to claw onto it, forsake it and follow God. We're going to experience the blessings. I love it here that it's there's the provision for those who want to come to faith. If there's someone there that wants to partake in this, they need to come to faith. 
right? That circumcision of the flesh was a symbol of the circumcision of the removal of sin from our heart. That's what it was. That it would it was a picture of circumcision of the heart. That was what, that was the most important thing. That outward you know uh, act of of circumcision. They trusted in that over having a relationship with God. They put so much trust in in, in the religiosity, if you want, if that's a word, uh, of, of, of just being religious rather than having a relationship with God. I mean, Paul, Paul brilliantly talked about circumcision. He's like, hey, you know, talking about obedience. If you're disobedient, you're circumcised. Are you really? Are you set apart to God? But what what's what's here is is a chance for someone who wants to come to faith to do it. Is circumcision required now? No, it's not. It's not. That's that's a thing for the Jews back then. It is not for a Christian now. You don't need to do things to make ourselves right with God. We have a relationship with God based on Christ's righteousness, not ours. We don't have to go through and now we got to do this and we have to do that. That's legalism. We don't need those things. Says you shall not carry it outside. None of it shall be left till, uh, till morning. Those are going to sound familiar. Um, and uh, no broken bones. That's prophetic. Jesus Christ on the cross. Now remember, the spotless lamb offered to save the lives of the believers, right? So it's keeping the same theme. Uh, no broken bones. Numbers chapter 9, verse 12 says, They shall leave none of it, speaking of the Passover meal, none of it until morning, nor break one of its bones. According to the ordinances of the Passover, they shall keep it. Now, a prophecy about Christ uh, also, Psalm 34, verse 20 says, He guards all his bones, not one of them is broken. If you, uh, I know we're, yeah, I'll, I'll try to do this quickly here. Uh, John chapter 19. I'm going to read these. You can turn with me if you'd like. It's seven verses we're going to read. Verse 31 says, Therefore, because it was the preparation day that the body should not remain on the cross of uh, on the Sabbath for uh, that Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken. So when Jesus and the two thieves were on the cross next to him, when they're there because of the, the Jewish holiday, they're like, hey, can you go speed this up here? We don't want their carcasses on, on, their, on there anymore. They're going to defile us and everything. Can you go break their legs so they can't push themselves up and get their breaths and they'll suffocate faster is what they wanted. So they go up and uh, they break their legs. Um, um, let me see here. That they may be taken away. 32 says, Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and, uh, uh, and of the other who were crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead, and they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth, so that, he, that you may believe. For these things were done, that the scripture may be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says they shall look at him on whom they, on him whom they pierced. You guys see how this is all tying in all the way back in Exodus 12, all speaking of Jesus Christ on the cross. Not one of his bones are broken. Just uh, the the that the blood would be uh, up on his head. You know, consider the the bleeding that he did on his head with that crown being beaten into a skull and beaten all night, and from the, the, the blood that would be here uh, on his wrist as he hung on the cross. That he would save us. Verse 50, thus all the children of Israel did. This is awesome. They were told to do something and they did it. That's <laughs> perfect, right? There, there's a, a big spiritual lesson for us right there. I don't even have to get into it. We're told to do something and they did it. Thus, uh, all the children of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. And, uh, and it came to pass on that very day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies. So thus they did as God commanded. So they did. Uh, it says they, they took God's words and instructions very seriously. You know, to understand with accuracy what the word of God has to say and obey it. That's what they did. They understood what they had to do, and they obeyed it. Uh, understand that uh, when when we're looking at the scriptures, and we we know that God is speaking to us, we are going to be blessed if we just do what He tells us to do. They did. 
and it saved their lives. And and they uh, the next day they're grabbing everything and everybody is giving them what they need and they make haste. They're they're quickly moving right. They had their their belts girded, their their sandals on, and they were ready to go. That verse here right at the end says, And it came to pass that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. As he said he would, when he said he would, how he said he would. That's how God works. God does exactly. He told them exactly how long they'd be there, what would happen, and that he would lead them out. All of those things happen. God knows what he's doing. If we're, if we're questioning that, just look at, do I have a reason to question him? When I can look in here and see. What a what a powerful picture that you know, when we look at at the Passover and that we can see you know, our Lord and Savior what He did for us. He saved Israel by the by the blood on the lentil and by the the, the doorpost, and He saved any believer by the by the precious blood of Jesus spilled out for us. Amen. Amen. Let's pray, Father. We are grateful for Your love and 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 what You've done for us. Oh God, help us to trust You. We see here that Israel had every reason to trust you, but they got to a point where they questioned and they rebelled. Help us not to get to that place, but to trust you and to follow you. Be obedient and to do as we're told to do and to follow you. And we will experience the riches of your blessing because of what you've done for us. That your, that your son obediently went to the cross to pay for our sins. And that blood on the doorpost and lentil of our hearts, that we would identify with you because of that blood, that you made the way. In Jesus' name, we are so grateful. We pray to you. Amen. Grace and peace to you all. Have a great rest of your night.